Chapter Twenty Three of Murder at Bridge. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Murder at Bridge by Anne Austen. Chapter Twenty Three. I'd give a good deal to know which of those two suggested that it would be a good idea to get married the first thing this morning, Dundee mused aloud, as he put down the second extra which the Hamilton Morning News had had occasion to issue that Thursday. It was two o'clock, and the district attorney's special investigator sat across the desk from Captain Strawn in his former chief's office at police headquarters. The first extra had screamed in its biggest head type, second bridge dummy murder and had carried in detail captain strawn's comforting theory that dexter sprague's erstwhile friends had again been made the victims of a new york gunman's fiendish cleverness in committing his murders under circumstances which would inevitably involve hamilton's most highly respected and socially prominent citizens in the police investigation but the second extra had a more romantic streamer headline hammond wedding delays murder quiz the story beneath a series of smaller headlines began. At the very moment, 9.05 o'clock this morning, when Celia Hunt, maid in the Tracy Miles home in the Brentwood district of Hamilton, was screaming the news of her discovery of the dead body of Dexter Sprague, New York motion picture director, in what is known as the Trophy Room, Miss Polly Beale and Mr. Clive Hammond were applying for a marriage license in the municipal building. At 9.30, when Miss Beale and Mr. Hammond were exchanging their vows in the rectory of St. Paul's Episcopal Church, of which both bride and groom have been members since childhood, Captain John Strawn of the Homicide Squad was listening to Tracy Miles' account of the strange disappearance of Dexter Sprague last night from an impromptu bridge game, after he had announced his intention of taking advantage of the fact that he was dummy to telephone for a taxi. And at ten o'clock, when the new Mrs. Hammond called her home to break the news of her marriage to her aunt, Mrs. Amelia Beale, the bride was in turn acquainted with the news of Sprague's murder, and the fact that both she and her husband were wanted at the Miles home for questioning by the police, since both had been guests of Mr. and Mrs. Miles last night, although Mr. Hammond did not arrive until about eleven o'clock. There followed a revision of the murder story, as it had appeared in the first extra, with additional details supplied by Strawn, and with a line drawing of the scene of the crime, the trophy room itself and the forked driveway with its tall yew hedges. A dotted line illustrated Strawn's theory of Sprague's plan to elude the murderer who had followed him to the Miles' home. Because of the curved sweep of the driveway toward the main entrance of the house, the tall hedge was less than two feet from the window with the partly open screen. Captain Strawn's theory, read the text below the large drawing, is that Sprague had good cause to fear he was being followed on his way to the Miles' home, that he telephoned for a taxi to wait for him at the foot of the hill, and that he planned to leave the Miles' house by way of the trophy room window so that his lurking pursuer might have no knowledge of his departure. The drawing shows that his proposed flight would have been protected by hedges until he reached the wooded slope of the hill, provided his nemesis was lurking in the opposite hedge across the driveway, where he could observe every departure from the Miles' home. "'You've sure got a single-track mind, boy,' Strawn chuckled. "'So you think those two got married in such a hurry this morning, because the law says a husband or a wife 
can't be made to testify against the other? Possibly. Dundee grinned, unruffled. But there is another possibility, which is why I should like to know who suggested this sudden wedding. I mean that we can't overlook the possibility that these two murders made either the bride or the groom feel perfectly safe in going on with the marriage. Polly Beale and Clive Hammond had been engaged for more than a year, you know, with no apparent reason for a long engagement. As my having a single-track mind, Captain, what about you? I have six possible suspects, all of whose names I know, and you have only one, whose name you do not know, and whose motive you can only guess at, while I have a perfectly good motive that might fit any one of my six, blackmail. Is that so? Strawn growled. I'm not telling the papers everything, and if they are satisfied to call these murders crimes passionnels, it's all right with me. But I'm not forgetting that Nita Selim banked ten thousand dollars cash after she got to Hamilton. My real theory now that Sprague has been killed is that Nita and Sprague had cooked up some sort of racket between them, and that when Nita got the chance to come to Hamilton with Mrs. Dunlap, she jumped at it, and she and Sprague sprung their racket, whatever it was, either just before or just after Nita left New York. Probably it was Nita's tip-off, and Sprague did the actual dirty work himself, which explains that telegram that Nita sent him April 24th, just three days after she got to Hamilton. Let's see again just what it says. And Strawn reached for a copy of the night letter which Dundee himself had unearthed the day before. See? Everything Jake so far, but would feel safer you hear. Yes, I remember the wording quite well, Dundee interrupted but you did not take it so seriously when I showed it to you yesterday, if you had. All right, rub it in, Strawn snapped, flushing darkly. If I'd assigned a man to tail Sprague, as you suggested, he wouldn't have been murdered. He probably would have been murdered just the same, Dundee comforted the older man, but we might have been lucky enough to have had an eyewitness. Oh, you and your theory, Strawn growled, but let me go on. Nita meant she would feel safer about Sprague if he was here in Hamilton, too. But the guy they double-crossed in New York, or worked the badger game on, or something like that, got on their trail. But it took him weeks to do it, and Sprague followed Nita's advice. He got here on Sunday, April 27th, and on Monday the 28th, Nita banked the first 5,000. Don't you see it, boy? Sprague brought with him the dough they'd got for their stunt, and thought it was safer for Nita to bank it in her name, since it wasn't the name she was known by in New York, anyway. We've checked up on Sprague pretty thoroughly. He didn't have a bank book, either on his body or in his room, and every bank in town denies he had an account with them. If that theory is correct, it makes Nita Selim a pretty low character, Dundee mused aloud. Not only did she kick him out as a lover, but she double-crossed him as her partner in crime, by willing the whole wad to Lydia Carr. Sprague must have received quite a shock when he heard Nita's will read, at the inquest. Yeah, Strawn agreed. It looks like Mrs. Dunlap pricked a sweet specimen to make a friend out of. Well, that's my theory, and I think it explains everything. Their victim in New York simply hired a gunman, or come down here himself, when he got on their tracks. Of course it was a good stunt to make it look like a local crime. Figured he'd fool me, just as he fooled you. So the murderer simply trailed Nita around, and saw that whole bunch of society people shooting at a target at Judge Marshall's place, with a gun equipped with a Maxim silencer. Too good an opportunity to be missed, so he bides his chance to swipe the gun and silencer. To make sure it will look like a local crime, he pops off Nita when that same bunch is at her house, 
but it takes a few days longer before he has the same opportunity to get Sprague, but it come last night, and he grabbed it. A very plausible theory, and one which, in general, the whole city of Hamilton has been familiar with since the night Nita was murdered, Dundee remarked significantly. What do you mean? Strawn demanded. It's waterproof, ain't it? Doc Price says the bullet, and a thirty-two caliber one at that, entered Sprague's body just below the breastbone, and traveled an upward course till it struck the extreme right side of the heart. The bullet entered exactly where it would have to, if the murderer was crouching under that window while Sprague was raising the screen. And we have Carraway's report that it was Sprague's fingerprints on those nickel-plated things you have to press together to make the screen roll up or down. Furthermore, I haven't a doubt in the world that the ballistics expert in Chicago will report that the bullet was fired from the same gun that killed Nita Salim. Neither have I, Dundee agreed. But what I meant was that you had obligingly furnished the murderer who fits my theory with a theory he, or she, would not have upset for the world. Listen, and he bent forward very earnestly, I'm willing to grant that Sprague was shot from the outside, through the window, when Sprague raised the screen. But there are theories part company. I believe that the murderer was a guest in the Salim home last night, that he or she had made an appointment to meet Sprague there, on the promise of paying the hush money he had demanded, in spite of my warning to him not to carry on with the blackmail scheme. Naturally, he, or she, and I'll say he from now on for the sake of convenience, had no intention of being seen entering that room. The bridge game was suggested by Judge Marshall at noon. There was plenty of time for the rendezvous to be made with Sprague. As I see it, the murderer told Sprague to excuse himself from the game when he became dummy, and to go to the trophy room and wait there until the murderer had a chance to slip away and appear beneath the window. Sprague had been promised that, when he raised the screen at a tap or a whispered request, a roll of bills would be handed to him, but he received a bullet instead. "'And which of your six suspects have you picked on?' Strawn asked sarcastically. "'That's the trouble. There are still six. Dundee acknowledged with a wry grin. After Sprague's disappearance, every one of the six was absent from the porch at one time or another. No, by George, there are seven suspects now. I was about to forget Peter Dunlap, who admits he was alone on a fishing trip when Nita was murdered, and who left the porch last night to go to the library as soon as Sprague arrived. As for the movements of the original six after Sprague disappeared, Polly Beale took a walk about the grounds. Flora Miles went upstairs to hunt for Karen Marshall, and was gone more than ten minutes. Drake went to the dining-room to get the refreshments, and no one can say exactly how long he was gone. Judge Marshall went up to get his wife, and had time to take a little trip on the side. Janet Raymond walked over from her home, and passed that very window, arriving after Sprague had disappeared, and finally Clive Hammond arrived alone in his car, which he parked within a few feet of that window. This morning he gets married. A telegram, sir interrupted a plain-clothesman, who had entered without knocking. Strawn snatched at it, read it, then exulted. Read this, boy. I guess this settles the business. The telegram had been filed half an hour before, and was from the city editor of the New York Evening Press. Working on your theory of New York gunmen responsible murders of Juanita Leigh Salim and Dexter Sprague, this paper has discovered that Salim woman was seen at nightclubs several times during January, February, with, quote, Swallowtail Sammy, end quote, 
Underworld name for Sam Savelli. Stop. Savelli taken for ride Tuesday, April 22nd, two days after Selim woman left New York. Stop. Police here working on theory, Savelli slain by own gang. After they were tipped off, Savelli was double-crossing them. Stop. In exchange for this tip, can you give us any suppressed information, your possession? Stop. Savelli had brother, who is known to us to have promised revenge, swallow tail Sammy's murder. Stop. Be a sport, Captain. Well, that puts the lid on it, don't it? Strawn crowed. I'll send Sergeant Turner to New York on the five o'clock train. Pretty decent of that city editor to wire me this tip, I'll say. And are you going to reciprocate by wiring him about the ten thousand dollars Nita banked here? Dundee asked. Sure, why not? There's no use that I can see to keep it back any longer, now that no one can have any excuse to think, as you've been doing, that it was blackmail paid by a Hamiltonian. Then, Dundee began very slowly, if you really think your case is solved, I'll make one suggestion. Take charge of Lydia Carr and put her in a very safe place. Why? Strawn looked puzzled. Because, when you publish the fact that Nita and Spray got ten thousand dollars, for tipping off Savelli's gang that he was double-crossing them, and that Nita willed the money to Lydia, the Avenger's next and last job would be to get Lydia, since his natural conclusion would be that Lydia had been in on the scheme from the beginning, Dundee explained. God, boy, you're right, Strawn exclaimed, and his heavy old face was very pale as he reached for the telephone and called the number of the Miles residence. I'm going to put it up to her that it will be best for her to be locked up as a material witness, for her own protection. Five minutes later, Strawn restored the receiver to the hook with a bang. Says she won't budge, he explained unnecessarily. Says she ain't afraid, and the Miles kids need her. Well, it's her own funeral. But I guess you are convinced at last. Dundee slowly shook his head. Almost, but not quite, Chief. Lord, but you're stubborn. Here's a watertight case. A very pretty and a very satisfactory case, but not exactly watertight, Dundee interrupted. There's just one little thing. What do you mean? Strawn demanded irritably. Have you forgotten the secret shelf behind the guest closet in the Selim house? Dundee asked. I can afford to forget it, since it hasn't got a thing to do with the case, Strawn retorted angrily. There's not a scrap of evidence. Of course it does not fit into your theory, Dundee agreed for Swallowtail Sammy's avenging brother could not have known of its existence. But there is one thing about that secret shelf and its pivot door, which I don't believe you can afford to forget, Captain. Yeah? Strawn snarled. Yeah. I refer, of course, to the complete absence of fingerprints on the door and on the shelf itself. Carraway didn't even find Nita Selim's fingerprints. Since Nita would have had no earthly reason for carefully wiping off her fingerprints after she removed the paper she burned on Friday night, it's a dead sure fact that someone else who had no legitimate business to do so touched that pivoting panel and the shelf and carefully removed all the traces that he had done so. And, he continued grimly, until I find out who that someone is, I, for one, won't consider the case solved. Fifteen minutes later, Dundee was sitting at Penny Crane's desk in her office of the district attorney's suite, replacing the receiver upon the telephone hook, after having put in a call for Sanderson, who was still in Chicago, keeping vigil at the bedside of his dying mother. "'Did you find out anything new when you questioned the crowd this morning?' Penny asked. 
"'Besides the fact that Polly and Clive got married this morning, I mean? "'I wasn't surprised when I read about the wedding in the extra. "'It was exactly like Polly to make up her mind suddenly "'after putting Clive off for a year.' "'So it was Polly who held back,' Dundee said to himself. "'Aloud. "'No, I didn't learn much new, Penny. "'You're a most excellent and accurate reporter. "'But there were one or two things that came out. "'For instance, I got Drake to admit to me in private.' that Nita did give him an explanation as to where she got the ten thousand. Yes, Penny prompted eagerly. Drake says, Dundee answered dryly, that Nita told him it was black alimony, which she had succeeded in collecting from her former husband. Unfortunately, she did not say who or where the mysterious husband is. Pooh, scoffed Penny. Don't you see? She just said that to satisfy Johnny's curiosity. After all, it was the most plausible explanation of how a divorcee got hold of a lot of money. So plausible that Drake may have thought of it himself, Dundee reflected silently. Aloud he continued his report to the girl who had been of so much help to him. Among other minor things that came out this morning, and which the papers did not report, was the fact that Janet Raymond tried to commit suicide this morning by drinking shoe polish. Fortunately her father discovered what she had done almost as soon as she had swallowed the stuff, and made her take Ipecac and sent for the doctor. "'Oh, poor Janet!' Penny groaned. "'She must have been terribly in love with Dexter Sprague, though what she saw in him—' Dundee made no comment, but continued with his information. Another minor development was that Tracy Miles admitted that he and Flora had quarreled over Sprague after all of you left, and that Flora took two sleeping tablets to make sure of a night's rest.' "'She's been awfully unstrung ever since Nita's murder,' Penny defended her friend. "'She told us all Monday night at Peter's that the doctor had prescribed sleeping medicine. "'Now you look here, Bonnie Dundee,' she cried out sharply, answering an enigmatic smile on the detective's face. "'If you think Flora Miles killed Nita Salim and Dexter Sprague because she was in love with Dexter and learned he was Nita's lover from that silly note—'Whoa, Penny,' Dundee checked her. I'm not linking exactly that, but I've just remembered something that had seemed of no importance to me before. And what's that, Mr. Smart Aleck? Penny demanded furiously. Before I answer that question, will you let me do a little theorizing? Dundee suggested gently. Let us suppose that Flora Miles was not in love with Sprague, but that she was being blackmailed by Nita for some scandal Nita had heard gossiped about at the Forsyte School. No, wait— let us suppose further that Nita recognized Flora's picture in the group Lois Dunlap showed her, as the portrait of the girl whose story she had heard, that she was able, somehow, to secure incriminating evidence of some sort. Letters, let us say. Nita tells Sprague about it, and Sprague advises her to blackmail Flora, who, Lois has told Nita, is very rich. So Nita comes to Hamilton and bleeds Flora of $10,000. Not satisfied, Nita makes another demand— the money to be paid to her on the day of the bridge luncheon. Silly! Penny scoffed furiously. The only evidence you have against poor Flora is that she stole the note Dexter had written to Nita. That's the crux of the matter, Penny darling, Dundee assured her, in a maddeningly soothing voice, at which Penny clinched her hands in impotent rage. Flora, seeing Nita receive a letter written on her husband's business stationery, jumps to the conclusion that Nita had carried out her threat to tell Tracy, or that Nita has at least given Tracy a hint of the truth, 
and that Tracy's special messenger note is, let us say, a confirmation of an appointment suggested by Nita. Very well. Flora goes to Nita's bedroom at the first opportunity, knowing that Nita will come there to make up for the men's arrival. Let's suppose Flora had brought the gun and silencer with her, intending to frighten Nita rather than kill her. But having had proof, as she believes, that Nita means business, Flora waits in the closet until Nita comes in and sits down at her dressing table, then steps out and shoots her. Then she recoils, step by step, until her foot catches in the slack cord of the bronze lamp, causing the very bang or bump, which Flora herself describes later, for fear someone else has heard it. Her first concern, of course, is to hide the gun and silence her. She remembers Judge Marshall's tale of the secret shelf in the guest closet, and not only hides the gun there, but seeks in vain for the incriminating evidence Nita has against her. But she also remembers the note she believes Tracy has written to Nita, and which, if found after Nita's death, may give her away. So she goes to the closet in Nita's bedroom, finds the note, and faints with horror at her perhaps needless crime when she realizes that the note was written by Sprague and not Tracy. Of course she is too ill and panic-stricken to leave the closet until the murder is discovered. But you think she was not too panic-stricken to have the presence of mind to retrieve the gun and silencer and walk out with them under the very eyes of the police, Penny scoffed. No, I think she was, Dundee amazed her by admitting, and that is where my sudden recollection of something I had considered unimportant comes in. Let us suppose that Flora, half suspected by Tracy, confesses to him in their car as they are going to the country club for their long-delayed dinner, as were the rest of you. Tracy, loyal to her, decides to help her. He tells her to suggest, at dinner, that Lydia come to them as nurse, so that he can go back to the house and get the gun and silencer from the guest closet hiding place if an opportunity presents itself, as it did, when I left Tracy Miles alone in the hall, while I went into Nita's bedroom to talk with Lydia before I permitted her to go with Tracy. "'You're crazy,' Penny told him fiercely when he had finished. "'I suppose you're going to ask me to believe that Tracy was a big enough fool to leave the gun and silencer where Flora could get hold of it and kill Sprague last night.' "'Why not let us suppose that Tracy himself killed Sprague to protect his wife, not only from scandal but from a charge of murder?' Dundee countered. Tell me honestly, do you think Tracy Miles loves Flora enough to do that for her? Suddenly, inexplicably, Penny began to laugh, not hysterically, but with a genuine mirth. End of chapter 23